You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Scalea. Jacobo, is the, is the feeling, is the sensation today a little bit different to yesterday for you personally? Yeah, yesterday was a little bit bittersweet because obviously I was super happy for a no, but I'm really disappointed for myself. And today we're back there and uh, the guys did again an amazing job. Konovalovas was impressive. He was there until two to go. And then the Israeli took over. I think we had a good momento, maybe. Yeah, this is just a matter of like millimeter. Maybe we could have waited two, three more seconds. I started at 500 with the speed. It could have been better 400. But still, you know, the target is not to do like uh, what you on a paper, you know, the perfect lead out, but we give a crap, you know. It's, it's just, I'd rather do this mistake and win in, uh, anyway. The last 50 meters looked like they went downhill slightly and Arno seems to go well on those kind of finishes. Even yesterday, there was a slight downhill. Yeah, today we, we used a, a 55 for the sprint because we knew it could have been fast. It was still a little bit headwind. But I think, uh, yeah, everything went well, huh? Who is that, Daniele Friberancini? Well, that was Jacopo Guarnieri, lead out man, ace lead out man today, to Arno Demart, missing in action yesterday, as we heard there. Unfortunately for Jacopo, as he said, it was bittersweet for him yesterday. We did, we found ourselves, didn't we, dwelling on that or reflecting on that yesterday evening, that must be a, a difficult, invidious position for a lead out man to know that your sprinter has had a fantastic victory and know also that you didn't really contribute in the way that you would have wanted. But much better day for Jacopo today. Um, didn't start too well for him, Lionel, because I abused him really in the mix zone today. Not that I, you know, I didn't hurl insults in his direction, but I sort of used him as a press officer because the press officers and the teams had to leave early today because it was slightly complicated logistics. Consequently, Trek Segafredo didn't have their press officer in the mix zone and I enlisted Jacobo Guarnieri. I asked him to go and fetch Dario Cataldo for me and he did. <laughs> Tremendous. I saw that Guarnieri tweeted before the Giro the weights of his uh, teammates in the Giro. Um, God. I'm feeling quite slim line compared to Group Armour FDJ. Do you know what? We'll revisit this later, but one of their direct sportifs, Seb Jolie, in L'Equipe this morning, likened them to a herd of bisons or buffaloes. So, well, it, you know, indeed. They're, they're, our, they're, the, they're our team, really, aren't they? Attila Valter is positively flyweight at 68 kilos. Arno Demar, 78 kilos. Attila would definitely be playing in the backs, wouldn't he? Not the forwards. Rugby That's reference. Like, well, I mean, heaven. Let's me. move on. Let's Dear move on. me. Just on that as well, we, we touched there with Jacopo on well, the fact that he was slightly downhill. Demar seems to be developing a bit of a, well, a forte as a downhill sprinter. It's quite a niche skill to have as a sprinter, isn't it? It struck me as a bit like being a Chinese Elvis impersonator. Are they still allowed these days? Elvis Wok? You still get them in London, don't you? Chinese Elvises. Just the mention of downhill cycling reminds me of when Richard and Francois joked during the lockdown Tour de France when we took our bikes and uh, I volunteered to cycle to Miao from wherever we were in the sort of, uh, where was that? That would have been in the massive Central area and the route was entirely downhill and they suggested that I have a uh, some kind of downhill descending jersey. I'd avail myself of a science in sport duck and butter descending gel. I think that was the invention of Stephen Moon from Science in Sport. But we should say that we're in Scalea. We've been in this area before because today was very much like Groundhog Day, wasn't it? It was a real old school stage of the Giro d'Italia because, as you say, the team buses had to leave well before the start because the deviation route, which all of the race vehicles take, was more or less entirely on the stage route. So the team buses had to leave early, make sure they were in head of, ahead of the peloton, and then get back onto this coast road running up here to Scalea. And I felt it gave the Giro a real old-school feeling this morning. So because it wasn't old-school, old the fact that we were stuck behind the E-Giro. 
Well, we will get to that because this morning all the riders were kind of milling around at the start. I saw the Ineos riders sitting on the bumper of the Ineos Grenadiers team car with the boot open. I saw some Movistar riders just sitting on a step looking fairly forlorn, it has to be said. A Bardiani rider was sitting under the awning of a fruit and vegetable shop. Uh, like the 80s and the stage was a bit like the 80s wasn't it because they went very very slowly well, the for the most Movistars part Movistar's with their thousand yard stairs just contemplating the Im- imminent release of another series of the <laughs> of a Netflix of a Netflix documentary well what an extraordinary day it was for us because when we got back onto the course Daniel as you say we got caught behind the e-giro and we were trundling along at 25 kilometers an hour for much of the time I thought e-bikes were supposed to make you go faster but um, we were we were delayed getting to the finish, weren't we? It occurred we? to me the other day when Rick Zabel rode past. Is E. Rick Zabel, was his dad E. Rick Zabel just a motorised <laughs> antecedent Steady of Rick? now, steady now. Let's not start any rumours about E. Rick Zabel <laughs> using an e-bike. Wow. Maybe that's why he won so many green jerseys at the Tour de France. I don't know. Anyway, it was stage six from Palmy to Scalea. As I say, we've had a couple of finishes just up the road from here in Praia Amari before. There was a sprint finish a few years ago. I remember very vividly the uphill finish that Diego Ulisi won, but today was a pure stage for the sprinters. And, I mean, what a snooze fest, really. Um, we need to keep the energy levels high because uh, there wasn't much action to well, talk about. You know I propose, Lionel? Diego Rosa single-handedly maintained the entertainment levels or excitement levels on today's stage. I propose we don't refer to the Malia Rosa at all in today's episode. We only refer to the Diego Rosa. So Juanpe Lopez has the Diego Rosa. Indeed. And Diego Rosa was out in front on his own for a lot of time. He was initially chased by a three-strong group of drones, Sepulveda, Ravanelli and Taliani, sent up there by Gianni Savio. Well, I saw Gianni at the finish when we were both just about nodding off. And I asked him how come he hadn't sent any riders in a sort of fully fledged breakaway that day. It was more, it was a chase really. And we think it was a chase. Janney doesn't touch on this. We think it was a chase to prevent Rosa gaining more kilometers in this minor con- classification that we've heard mentioned by Janney a few times, the kilometers in breaks. Um, anyway, this was Janney retrospectively talking about what his formation had been in the morning. Janney, 15 kilometers to go. We're trying not to fall asleep. It's been a slow day, slow day. No drone hopper riders in the break. Was your modulo today zero, zero, zero? No, I hope zero, five, one. <laughs> so, five to help one in the finish, also if we have no one sprinter. Today in the, in the meeting, I told the two riders, today stop breakaway because you must be well tomorrow, after tomorrow, and in the blockhouse. So it's not possible. <laughs> we are the team that was in attack all the day, but it's not possible to continue. Today, one day, tranquil. Rest day. Well, relax. <laughs> when you are in, in bicycle, it's not, not relaxed, but, but not to spend uh, too much. Well, mention of our old mate Taliani. The first time he's been in the break without his best buddy, uh, Mattia Baez. But Taliani has a nickname, right, Daniel? Well, he does. I spoke to Filippo Taliani in the, in the mix zone today. Mattia Baez actually came in as well. I ascertained, I know that they're not roommates, so they haven't been sharing any magic nights together <laughs> so far at the Giro, as referenced in last night's podcast. <laughs> But I did introduce Taliani to his new nickname. Well, you can hear him here. Um, this was me causing some mirth by telling Taliani, announcing to Taliani that we have christened him the Trout of Gavardo. Now, we talked the other day, didn't we, about his grandfather's, his grandparents' restaurant, the Trattoria della Trotta, the Trattoria of the Trout. Hence, the Trout of Gavardo. Avevo, ne ho letto una cosa su questa trattoria della trota, no? Di, di, di tuo nonno. È, è lì che hai iniziato ad andare in bici? Sì, sì, la trattoria delle trotiche. Trattoria... Esiste ancora? Certo, sì, è la trattoria della mia famiglia. 
sono praticamente partiva lì la Coppa San Geo che è una gara, cioè, che è una gara di dilettanti sono appassionato della bicicletta da quando sono piccolo anche se nessuno in famiglia eh, la pratica e, e da ancora da quando ho sei anni sono riuscito ad arrivare al professionismo e lì si mangia la torta? sì, è la specialità è un frotta di Gavardo come soprannome ti va? O? Gavardo si chiama? sì, sì, sono di Gavardo, sì, dopo per gli amici comunque sono Pippo Taglia. I could have done with the trout last night, Daniel, to retrieve my sunglasses from the sea after they slipped off my head. We had some head. lovely tuna though, didn't we? We did have some lovely tuna and then I had a lobster pasta dish which was really exceptional. I mean the Malia Rosa in terms of the hotel the so Diego far. Rosa, Lionel. The, sorry, the Diego Rosa. Um, Il Casato it was wasn't it that was the name of the hotel a, a restaurant with rooms it just styled itself as and it, excellent it was too a beautiful view lovely food anyway on with the tale of the tapper because uh, well it was a snoozy old day it was a sort of day from the giro's past the 80s giro stages where they trundled along and then raced for the last hour uh, almost time for mario cipollini to stop for a pizza or an ice cream and even at 55 cipollini would have kept up until well into the latter stages because even when rosa was caught with 28 kilometers to go there wasn't any real action to speak of and the sprint trains got started very late it was really only when antemarche took it up on the right hand side and group Palmer took it up on the left with three k's to go that the peloton even kind of deformed into a sort of v-shape then Israel, Premier Tech were up there trying to set up uh, Giacomo Nizzolo. And then Quick Steps train got kind of uncoupled, didn't it? There was a sort of two-by-two two formation they were playing. So that didn't work out absolutely perfectly for them. Then we saw Fernando Gaviria of UAE in a very much a DSM sandwich with Dainese and Boll. And Gaviria's kind of shoulder barge earned him a relegation from whatever position he crossed the line uh, down to 152nd. And, well, my shorthand summary of the sprint, it was the sprint where everyone went too early. Group Armour looked like they'd gone too early. Mark Cavendish went possibly too early. Remember a few days ago, he went very early but held on to win. This time it wasn't to be. Caleb Ewan even went too early. And he was pipped on the line by Arno Dumas, who was probably the only one who timed it right. I mean, the, the, it must have been millimetres, the margin of victory for Dumas, but two in a row for the Frenchman. Well, actually, Lionel, at the start of the episode, we did hear, in case anyone hadn't realised, we, we were hearing there the moment when... Jacopo Guarnieri and Arno Demar discovered, found out that Demar had actually got the victory. And it was a good minute or so after Demar had crossed the line. What we didn't hear there was Ramon Sinkeldam arriving and giving Demar a big smooch, a big smacker on the chips, on the chips, on the cheeks. On, wow. There was, uh, well, the order over the line, sorry. Demar, Caleb Ewan, Mark Cavendish, Biniam Gamay and, ja and Giacomo Nizzolo no change overall. Demar now has a really healthy lead in the Ciclamino jersey. No change to the other jerseys. Um, but really, you know, I think it's it really remiss of us not to mention, and I haven't, we haven't got it at hand, so we're going to have to look it up, the kilometres, kilometre in fuga breakaway, um, classification that we, well, that Janney keeps referring to. No one here in the Giro <laughs> refers to it ever. However, I feel like we should look it up. Well, why don't we do that tomorrow? Because is this I mean, information even available? It's, it, I mean, it's like the, you know, yeah, we lost 3-0, but we had more throw-ins than the other team. I'm going to report you to Savia tomorrow. <laughs> Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the Cycling Podcast. I monitored my glucose levels when we got to the finish and I was well, well under my performance zone for much of today, Daniel. Uh, that might come across in tonight's recording, I don't know. But I did feel my energy levels dipping as we were driving along very slowly behind the E-Giro. No sign of E-Rick Zabel there, was there? In there the was not. No, Daniel, there was not. If you'd like to find out more about Super Sapiens, the continuous glucose monitoring system that can help your racing and performance and training, go to supersapiens.com. 
Daniel, I found the Fuga Bianchi Generale results from yesterday. This is the breakaway standings, not updated for tonight yet. Mattia Bias and Filippo Tagliani lead the way. So assuming that Tagliani's little move off the front today counts towards that, then he may well be in the lead tonight in that extremely important classification. It is extremely important. A couple of other stats, interesting stats. I noticed on the official press release of the Giro tonight, Lionel, Demar is now, this beggar's belief, Demar becomes a Frenchman with the most victories at the Giro d'Italia, with seven. One more than Jacques Anquetil and Bernard Hinault. Wow. Um, another... Well, slightly less startling statistic. Today's average speed was, was one of the slowest sprint stages in recent years. Uh, 38.076 kilometers an hour. And a couple of years ago, of course, he won the fastest ever stage of the Giro in Brindisi. 51.234 kilometers an hour. What did you make of the sprint then? Because Demar one follows another. I mean, he's on a roll, isn't he? I mean, there's probably not another opportunity until the billiard table stage to Reggio Emilia next week, but he's king of the sprinters so far, really, isn't he? Yeah, and I think today was one of his best ever victories because he has tended to win a couple of times at the well, at the Tour de France. He's taken advantage of circumstances that have favoured him, people crashing or um, sprinters with probably more starry or starrier palmares coming a cropper and today well he beat a very strong Caleb Ewan and uh, an informed Mark Cavendish didn't he I mean I was intrigued to watch his train today because we saw Guarnieri struggle yesterday as we've talked about before it's a train that's been working together for quite a while now we also mentioned yesterday that they had some problems in the spring various members of the train had had illness and injury so they'd not worked together a lot I mentioned the piece in L'Equipe today um, earlier on in the episode and it was really fascinating just about the communication between the the members of the train and how Guarnieri is solely responsible for that as the man who's in front of Demar simply because a, a sprinter's voice cannot carry more than a meter or two in a sprint in the sort of harem scarum of the last few kilometers so He's entirely responsible for relaying all messages to Demar, and of course he can't look back either. The only way he can check where Demar is is, well, if Demar tells him something, or if he looks sort of under an armpit and and he says he picked out his shoes. That's how he he sort of geolocates Demar in the sprint. But otherwise, the communication is sort of it's a kind of daisy chain. It's you know goes from the first man to the second man to the third man. And, well, yesterday we were standing by the road with about three kilometres to go at Messina. And it is quite, well, it can be quite surprising how loud the peloton is, particularly at that stage of a race, how much they, uh, the riders are shouting. And you know, we've learned this also, or we've seen it in the videos that Velon put out, the onboard videos. I think the first time that people watched those, they were, they were also quite surprised by how sort of vocal and boisterous it gets. I mean, it was a, a very interesting sprint, wasn't it? Because it really all got going quite late. You know, when there's one team that takes it up maybe 10 kilometres to go and, and gets everything into some sort of order, you can see how things develop. But it really was a kind of all basically gloves were off, weren't they? I mean, it was just everyone for themselves. And we had... Intermarche on one side, we have Group Armour on the other, we had Israel, Premier Tech trying to come up uh, on the right hand side of Group Armour at one point we had Quick Step Alpha Vinyl as I said earlier, just losing one another briefly they were sort of two by two rather than all in a line so it was quite a chaotic sprint and then when it came down to the finish, maybe that's why everyone went just that little bit too early, I mean Michael Morkoff said afterwards that he wasn't worried that Cavendish had been dropped off relatively early because he'd done so well from far out in Hungary on Sunday and Caleb Ewan said he was dropped off at exactly the right point no complaints with that at all um, he just didn't have enough you know I mean it was a question of millimetres for him um, but it did seem to me like there wasn't one team that really had it completely drilled and completely dialed in today no although it was a wide road wasn't it so most of the teams well they, they had ample space to sort of assemble and well there were some pretty decent trains in there group armor on one side of the road and quick step alpha vinyl i don't think 
they could have too many complaints about positioning in terms of you know laterally, horizontally where they were across the road. It was more it was more to do with timing today, wasn't it? Just on the route line, or the, today was called the stage of the Riviera dei Cedri in English, the Riviera of the Citrons. Did you know that citron was a, a specific citrus fruit in English? It's not a lemon. You're, in English, you call it a citron, and it's the. You've probably seen them here. I think we've probably talked about them before on the podcast. They're these. They look like kind of oversized lemons, kind of lemons pumped with human growth hormone. And um, they're absolutely <laughs> enormous. They're probably three or four times the size of a lemon, slightly paler, thicker rind. And well, that's what this that particular road is famous for. There are all sorts of rituals. There's a place down the coast. I think it's called Santa Maria, the Cedro, where they have religious parades i think and this these these citrons are, are considered sacred by jewish people and there is a, a festival every year where they they sort of pick up the prize citron to, to and some sort of sacrifice takes place but um yeah that was new to me i mean we we're not doing too well on the flora and fauna last night i, w- I hesitated for a moment over whether pistachios were grown on trees or plants i mean they're trees aren't they, they got no nuts are grown on trees all I'm thinking there is the, the Tour de France and the Priestitron for the sourest yes. rider. Uh, the journalists vote for the sourest rider over the course of the Tour de France. Does the Giro have an equivalent? No, it doesn't. But you know what I'd like to find? Maybe we could present it tomorrow. There's a special kind of these citrons, these cedri, called the Hand of Buddha. And these, they, they have these fingers that, hand down, that hang down and they really look like a very creepy... Um, yellow sort of wisdom hand but they're very prized I think we should we should go hunting for them tomorrow morning I've done the cabbage the stuffed cabbage hunt I've done the cannoli hunt I mean I'm always up for some kind of food hunt speaking of cannoli we got a message last night from one of our good friends uh, Alfredo from Amaraterra who supply the fantastic music not only our theme tune Cotze but I um, love the music you hear in our Giro coverage. We got a message from Alfredo who told me, I didn't know this, he's half Sicilian and he sent you this warning, Lionel. Non fai di mangiare troppi cannoli, diciamo che effettivamente la Sicilia è pericolosa. Io sono mezzo siciliano, quindi di Messina, per cui insomma. Well, that's all very well, Daniel, but what was that warning? The warning was, he, he said, cannoli, he said, Sicily is a dangerous place. And I think he means, I don't think he means, you know, it's rife with crime. I think he means that you need to, well, not you, Lionel, this is not a pointed comment, although we do talk a lot about your diet. Um, one needs to watch one's diet because there are a lot, there's a lot of temptation in Sicily, including cannoli. Indeed there is. Shall we hear from Attila Valta before we wrap up the story of the sprint? Because, well, yesterday he had a, a role to play. Today he wasn't as involved, but clearly was enjoying being part of a winning team with Group Armour FDJ. Two wins in two days, not too bad to be back in Italy I guess. I never had uh, this kind of feeling, you know, be part of such a such a monstrous team. Uh, yesterday I could took a, a little of the job, I could I could ride in the front but today was a really easy day. I'm waiting the mountains so the, the team was really nice and, and uh, I had really nothing to do with this victory but I'm really happy to share this with, with my team so I really hope uh, in the mountains I can do something more and give back the, the confidence that, that they let me let me rest today. It's incredible how they work, how strong these guys, how, how well they are working. It's really it's really an honor to have the same jersey today than, than they are. Why was it such a slow day today? Was it because yesterday was so difficult? Uh, for me yesterday was incredibly difficult. I think if I if I would stay in the front that would be much easier than staying with Arno and and uh, and then pulling in the in, in the back. But this is why the sport is nice. It's a team sport, and I really enjoyed being a part of a, of a really nice team yesterday. Actually, I was really surprised that like uh, 25k that there is no breakaway. I never see it in my life. I was sure that two Androni guy or two Bardiani is in the front. I was really shocked that uh, no one went. And then when we see one guy is going for the points, I, I thought that some some riders will go at the top of the the climb like. 300 only attacked and uh, actually they just wanted to to sneak the the points and and then they stopped so with one guy setting the tempo i think everyone was happy to be to take it easy but it would be better to to do a little faster because it was a really really long day and we could have finished already one hour ago and this is a the hours are really really expensive here in the giros especially because tomorrow is so difficult yeah yeah tomorrow is a really is a really difficult stage and uh 
Today I have no no more tra transfer. I'm just sleeping here, so I'm really glad that I can go to eat. I can go to rest because uh, I think tomorrow starting the the real the like let's say a second part of the Giro, the the hardest part. Shoot, shoot at the du peloton. Cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, I'm quite an anxious person, Daniel, as you know, quite anxious in Sicily, but also anxious more or less everywhere else. And um, I've become attuned over the many years of my life to the indicators of stress, sort of teeth grinding and fidgeting and 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 today i was gripping the steering so, uh, wheel a bit I, I didn't want stuck to say behind I didn't the notice. e-giro i didn't notice well i was keeping my eye on the clock i was getting a bit tense i mean i must admit you haven't even got the north london derby to get nervous <laughs> about the team now i noticed uh, Lionel, we've got we're, we're sitting outside the grand cafe the bar londra the london bar and it's got a big red london bus on the sign which is a good omen indeed he says that Twenty past eight local time. Indeed. Anyway, anyway, anyway. I mean, stress is part of the experience of covering a grand tour, really, because you've got to be on time. You, you have things set up. Things change. You know, your plans, your best laid plans, can fall down at any moment, and it's a kind of constant roller coaster of things, kind of going wrong and then rescuing uh, victory from the jaws of defeat, isn't it? I mean, that is the experience of covering the grand tours. Um, we're always under a little bit of pressure, whether it's the, the pressure to get the audio that we want, see the people that we want, or uh, get to the finishing time, as was the case today. I definitely find I sleep much less well when I'm here away at a Grand Tour. Um, loads of reasons for that. Um, but I have worked very hard over the last few years at trying to maintain some kind of equilibrium. And I have paid for some therapy. In the UK, I know that the NHS does some excellent therapy for free uh, if you qualify, I guess. But most people, I think, would have to pay for some kind of therapy. We had Canolo's therapy earlier this week, didn't we, Daniel? Which I found worked perfectly for me. But I always try to remind myself that it's important to just look after my mental well-being when I'm at home, when I'm away. And I've always found that talking to somebody that I don't know is quite helpful uh, because there's no judgment of you know, what you're saying. There's no expectation to think or feel a certain way. And so I think therapy is, uh, can be very beneficial. Uh, whether you're dealing with something traumatic, as I guess we have been recently, or whether you just want to keep on top of things in daily life. And BetterHelp is customised online therapy that offers you video, phone and even live chat sessions with a therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Uh, If that sounds like the sort of thing you might want to take advantage of, go to... Go to betterhelp.com slash cycle. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash cycle. And all of our listeners can get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash cycle. Daniel, Italian cycling was reeling really from the news that Vincenzo Nibali is uh, hanging up his wheels. I mean, riders don't hang up their wheels, do they really? Do they? Why not, Lionel? And well, you say Italian cycling was reeling. I think it will be reeling in a few months' time when Nibali finally departs. He's still here at the Giro. But the talk this morning in Palmi, a very, a very lively Palmi. Um, it was a typical Giro start when the whole town had congregated in the main square, and there was a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm, particularly around Nibali himself. He was in the mix zone talking about how he'd taken the decision to quit at the end of the year. But we were also talking to people about Vincenzo Nibali, weren't we, Lionel? Um, you spoke to Joe Dombrowski, his teammate. I spoke to Domenico Pozzovivo, who's a rare rider in the peloton, in the Italian peloton, who is of a similar generation to Nibali, was a teammate of his at Bahrain Merida. Dario Cataldo, I mentioned earlier, didn't I, how um, I sent Jacopo Guarnieri out with a big fishing net and he came back with um, Dario Cataldo. And also Mauro Vegni, the Giro director. And well, we're going to hear from all of the above now, just talking about 
Vincenzo Nibali and the void he'll leave, what he's contributed, what he hasn't contributed. And you're also going to hear little bits of commentary from what I consider. There was a lot of talk this morning about what was his greatest exploit, his greatest victory. The 2016 penultimate state of Santana di Vinadio for me is the iconic Nibali exploit where he overhauled Esteban Chavez. We were there, we watched it. And as I say, you'll hear some of the excitement there was that day on Italian television. Dario, yesterday Vincenzo announced that he's finishing his career. He's a guy that you started your career with in Liquigas and then you were with him in Astana as well. Um, what is your strongest memory of, of which sort of demonstrates the rider that Vincenzo has been? Uh, <laughs> there's so many memories because I know him from we were junior already, so before we were pro, also when we were under 23, so so many he was always uh, showing here. Big class. He was uh, an amazing rider. He, he is born to 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 go on the bike. Uh, I always think like that. He has, he was uh, such a talent guy, and he demonstrated uh, during the years and uh, keeping being a very simple guy. And uh, I appreciate that part of him. He always keep being always the same normal guy as ever. So uh, many times about this class, I can I can remember. I mean, it's like in the Giro when he attacked on the Dino or when he can surprise all the peloton in some moment that no one expects he can do it. And like Scarponi said a few times that when he is in shape, he can attack him in any moment. On the flat, on the downhill, on the climb. So he can almost do whatever he wants. So, uh, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to, we had some nice guy like this, like him in, uh, in Italian cycling. Eccolo qua Nibali che adesso si alza, si alza sui, sui pedali, avevamo visto la famiglia, sono ancora vestiti di rosa i familiari di Esteban Chavez. Um, yesterday Vincenzo Nibali announced that he's retiring at the end of the year. You grew up with him almost as an amateur, your careers have almost gone parallel. What, do you, what have you admired most about Vincenzo over the years? Uh, for me it was always a reference because we did a parallel uh, career but uh, Vincenzo was a higher level than me. Uh, also with the same uh, goal for the season but uh, yeah, for me it was always something to try to reach. And uh, yeah, for sure it's, di it's difficult uh, to upset uh, the day that you have to, to stop uh, racing. But uh, if he he decided to do this. Also for me, it's not so far this moment. But, uh, from Vincenzo, it started to be different uh, also. Uh, the cycling as, um, is uh, known in the South, because before it was only football, the, the only sport that the young uh, guy tried to practice. And from Vincenzo, career started to be more uh, also interested to cycling, so it's a good, uh, good pushing uh, for the cycling also in the South. I don't see a very bright future for Italy at the moment. I see riders popping up and looking promising, but not going to the next level. It's a real problem for the Giro, just as it's a problem for France when they don't have a rider who can contend for victory in the Tour. So it's a problem and we'll miss him hugely. Every era is almost defined by one rider. In the 80s it was Eno, then there was Inderine. I think after Contador in the noughties, Vincenzo has been the rider who's towered over these last 10 years. Era-defining is how I would describe him. Vincenzo Nibali, che dalla Sicilia è arrivato in Toscana per intraprendere questo difficile mestiere del corridore. Una vuelta, un giro, un Tour de France. Um, I actually spoke with him in the training camp in Teide uh, before this, like just about, you know, his career and if he wanted to continue or not. And uh, 
he kind of jokingly said, I, I think my wife doesn't want me to continue. Uh, you know, in the sense that like we spend a lot of time on the road and you're away from family and uh, if you have a wife or children, you want to also be present. Um, so, you know, I think in the end, it's a personal decision. We didn't really speak about it last night, but um, you know, it's also for a rider like him, he has in a way the luxury of kind of deciding when he gets to stop because if I'm honest, I think that probably uh, it's more often the case that, you know, you stop because there's not an option to continue. Um, so, you know, then he can do it on his own terms and do the races that he wants in his last year, etc. I more or less understand Italian. Like in the radio, I can speak Italian in the race and I understand all the directions, but it, it's difficult for me, for example, at the table to make jokes with the guys, you know? Uh, so there's a little bit of that barrier and he speaks English, but I wouldn't say he's like really confident in his English speaking. So we speak a bit, but not so much. Um, but he's always been, you know, quite easy going and um, you can see that he has like a lot of kind of racecraft and wisdom and um, yeah. Does he have a presence in the peloton? I think so. Uh, I think it's disappearing, not his presence, but rather like the, um, I know everyone says like the respect in the bunch, but I, I feel that in even four or five years ago, it was more like if there was Nibli or Contador or Froome, people would break and you let them pass. And I think that's becoming less the case. Um, so I, I think in his case, yes, it's still there. But if I speak generally about how people ride in the bunch, I feel that it's, uh, there's maybe a little bit, I know people have said it, but I don't know. The, the mannerisms in the bunch, I think are changing a bit. I have to say with some regret that he hasn't changed a lot for cycling in the South. The South has done well off a few athletes who unfortunately have had to emigrate to the North to build a career. So the South still needs to find itself in cycling terms. They still need structures which ensure that riders don't have to go North like Vincenzo did. I think Nibali has symbolised the path that is available to riders from the South that they can make it, but we still haven't had anyone who's been able to complete a similar journey without leaving the South behind. Now there'll be a big void. People may point to Ciccone, but he's not at the same level as Nibali yet. Vincenzo should also be recognised for when he did what he's done. He's never been involved or even remotely connected to doping scandals or anything like that. Vincenzo's Sicilian, meaning that if he's got something to say, he'll say it to your face. I'm very good friends with him, but we've also locked horns over various things at times. But that's also the beauty of this sport. We can disagree, but we always end up finding a compromise. Daniel, it wasn't until I got back to our car, the cycling pod car, that I realised that it's Joe Dombrowski's birthday today. So happy birthday, Joe. And sorry I didn't wish Joe many happy returns when I spoke to him this morning. It was interesting there, Lionel, to hear conflicting views. Domenico Pozzovivo talking about the impact that Nibali has had for Italian cycling in the south of Italy. We should remind everyone, if you didn't gather it from that clip, that Nibali, extraordinarily, was the first rider from the deep south to ever win the Giro d'Italia. Danilo Di Luca had won it before him, but Di Luca's from a central region and also... There are big question marks over De, De Luca's 2007 Giro win because he was subsequently disgraced. But it, that is quite remarkable, and it's a, it's been an ongoing sort of saga of Italian cycling, the the lack of development in the south. And and there was Mauro Vegni, the Giro director, saying that yep, Nibali has been a fantastic sort of figurehead for the south, but his legacy is not a thriving cycling scene in the south of Italy. Talking of thriving, Lionel, well, Scalea looks pretty thriving tonight, certainly very bustling. However, of late, I learned today, well, I didn't learn today, I learned a few weeks ago, that this place has been really suffering 
because as of a few years it's become a bit of a mecca a magnet for russian tourists not necessarily the russian tourists that we you know stereotypically think of the yacht owning oligarchs but the sort go of go to forte de marmi or wherever exactly that, yeah, exactly yeah. the sort of common garden working class or middle class russians who a few years ago discovered skalea and descended on mass so much so that if you go into restaurants and bars in skalea you'll find a lot of russian me- menus however i learned from an article in the guardian newspaper a few weeks ago that obviously that has all stopped rather abruptly and everyone is suffering the bar owners are suffering and particularly the estate agents are suffering now i went on a little detour today we had so much time to kill i went off to an estate agent lionel as you do of a of an afternoon at the giro d'italia i went looking at property Nicola, buongiorno. Io sono un giornalista, sono qua con il Giro d'Italia, però ho letto l'articolo nel sì, giornale sì. inglese. Che, che non vengono più i, sì. i clienti. Che russo, ucraino. Hanno, l'hanno scritto bene? Cioè. Well, I know that was quite uh, an enlightening, eye-opening few minutes that I spent in the Rotondaro estate agent just next to the finish line today. What you heard there was a Russian voice and you heard Elena, who works in the uh, Rotondaro estate agency. She's from the Ukraine. She was um, talking to one of her Russian clients and they were both agreeing and, and telling me that they're completely mystified by the war. Obviously, there's no animosity between them. And we also heard from Nicola Rotondaro, the owner of the estate agency, just telling me what a desperate state his business is in because all sales, all transactions have completely dried up because the Russians can't come. There were already issues with them coming for the last couple of years because the Sputnik um, coronavirus vaccine wasn't recognized in Italy. So they're dark times and there doesn't seem to be any immediate prospect of an improvement. But you have just put in an offer on a two-bedroom <laughs> apartment with a sea view on the front there. Apartments of that ilk were going for, I mean, you're talking sort of 30,000, 40,000 euros. Um, wow. The prices are quite low. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science and Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast. And all of that talk of Citron's earlier Daniel, reminds me of the lemon and lime energy gels that Science in Sport do. Very refreshing on a warm day or a cold day, actually. If you want to get 25% off all Science in Sport products, go to scienceinsport.com and use the code, which I'm sure everybody knows by now, SISCP25. I mean, mean, how could you not? How can you not? I mean, even you've learned it, Daniel, this week. Anyway, tomorrow's stage, stage seven. It's the real kind of it's lurking in the shadows isn't it this stage the one that could catch people out potentially when we were doing our Giro preview the possibility perhaps of bad weather um, might have made this a really really difficult stage but even if the sun's shining and the weather is nice it's still significant especially with the almost world championship like stage uh, that starts and finishes in Napoli on Saturday followed by Blockhouse on Sunday this is a real trilogy isn't it it is, Lionel, and tomorrow is going to be a bit of a blockbuster. Finishing in Potenza, um, we're in the south, we're in the region, in fact, that Domenico Pozzovivo is from, or we will be, uh, Basilicata. And a lot of the riders have been talking about this stage, haven't they? 4,500 metres of climbing or thereabouts. It's a, a genuine mountain stage with some very difficult climbs indeed, particularly the Monte Grande di Vigiano, which comes after 100. 35 kilometers which well that's 60 kilometers from the finish it's also the ascent of monte sirino which i mentioned in our preview podcast for a lot of italians synonymous with davide rebellin who took the pink jersey there in 1996 was talked up at that time as was a future winner of that giro 1996 future winner of many giri and do you know what lionel he finished sixth in that giro 
and his Grand Tour record thereafter was 15 more Grand Tours, best finish of 29th and 11 DNFs. However, Davide Rebelin is still riding and he's, he's a month and nine days older than the controversial Lance Armstrong. Well, he's 50, isn't he? He's and 50. he's retiring at the well, end of the season. I think. He's 1971, born in August 1971. So he'll be 51 by the end of the year. So he's 50. Yeah, good <laughs> math. Well done, Very Daniel. Good. Yes, yeah. Good, excellent math. Excellent math. But Lionel, it is going to be intriguing tomorrow, not only to see how the general classification riders get on or the guys that we sort of have tipped to maybe triumph in Verona at the end of the Giro. But the, the, the Diego Rosa, or Maglia Rosa if you prefer, battle is also going to be interesting because we've got Leonard Kemner poised to make an attack on Juanpe Lopez's pink jersey, haven't we? Kemner only needs to make up 38 seconds on Lopez to, well, 39 technically, to take the pink jersey. Simon Yates is at 1.42. There could be a bit of a sort-out tomorrow, couldn't there? There might Who's be one of that sort of magic 17 who are in the sort of GC group Who's in the fall pink away. jersey tomorrow? Who's in the pink jersey tomorrow? Well, you Diego know, I don't, I don't speculate. Uh, I think, all being equal, it should be Kemner. I think it's none of the above. I think there'll be a break tomorrow, and I think someone else will take the pink jersey, someone who we're not factoring in. Guillaume Martin. No way. He's lost enough time, I think, to be... Would you confirm, Lionel, he's lost enough time to be given some freedom tomorrow? He has lost a fair amount of time. I mean, he's 4.06 down. Ooh, They're not gonna maybe let, a bit too close. No, maybe too a bit close, close, isn't it? Not going to allow him to get up the road by... Well, they'd need to be sort of five, six minutes up the road at some point. We're not going to let that happen, I don't think. I mean, I, I, this is the thing about speculation. I mean, it, it's pointless trying to guess. Maybe maybe Balka Mollema, 5.49 down, could be could be a day for Mollema. I mean, Matt White was saying it's it's going to be those sorts of riders that will create a bit of havoc tomorrow. Well, and it's been a, a long day. It was a long day, certainly, watching the race today. We need a bit of light relief. So, for this evening's Giro del Buffalo, we'll go back to a couple of years ago in Pinerolo, where a discussion that was prompted by something that wasn't very light and joyous. Or, or light-hearted. It was a bit of an altercation between Marco Halla, Arsenal fan, and a fan, another a cycling fan, who tried to rip a bidon out of Marco's mouth after the stage that had been won by Cesare Benedetti. And the following discussion ensued between you, Lionel, me, and Richard Moore. Il Giro del Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. The road itself was dramatic. It was narrow. It was it was quite rough in places, but it really snaked around with some very tight um, hairpins. It really climbs up the the steep side of the of the mountain. So visually, it was fantastic. Um, the gradient changed enough to make the race interesting as well. A real sort of find, a real discovery I, for the Giro. I found out. Um uh, an intriguing fact, and a fact that intrigued me anyway. After the first, no, after the Second World War, the Italians on this side used to haul bags of rice, 50 kilogram bags of rice, up to the French border, and the French from Val d'Isere used to come up with 50 kilos bags of salt, and they used to swap them because the two commodities were difficult to obtain after the war, apparently. I thought you were going to say they hauled them up there and then made a massive risotto, which well, sounds they like... they probably did. <laughs> they probably did. A very salty one, by the sounds <laughs> yeah. of things. Yeah, salt risotto, not really. No, no. Need other ingredients. Maybe some black truffle. But we're not in that area, are Talking we? Talking of no. salt, do you know who was pretty salty yesterday? Marco Haller. After yesterday's stage, when a fan tried to rip uh, a bead on out of his mouth basically the clip went viral uh, Marco was filmed regaling the world with some fairly colourful language the kind of language that you only learn when you're a fan of Arsenal Football Club I remember Marco Haller had a terrible knee accident last year almost lost his leg this is the, his first a knee, knee accident knee accident knee injury knee injury he had a knee injury um, almost lost his left leg and he's running his first Grand Tour since the terrible knee accident <laughs> I've had, a, I've had a brain accident. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the most of the, the podcast 
Oh, here we go. Who is the most likely to react in a similar fashion to Marco Haller? Actually, I wouldn't have liked that one bit. I mean, he's come... Do you think Lionel? Possibly. Well, Napalm? I'm not sure. I think... There's no well question about who'd be the least likely, but there's probably some debate about who'd be the most likely. Oh. I don't think you would react like that, like Daniel. No, I'd probably sulk, wouldn't I? You'd sulk, <laughs> yeah. You'd just go quiet for 24 hours. I think, uh, you, know, we, we, you know, we see this. It's hard to just single out the guy and, and you know, make him the villain of the piece. He made a t- an error of judgment and, and he realised it immediately. He made an error of judgment. He reached for the bottle that was in Haller's mouth. I mean, that's what made it much worse, I think. But then as soon as he realised what he'd done, he did sort of back off and his hands were up in a quite conciliatory manner. Haller's language... Uh, fair play to him. I mean, you know, well, we've heard w- we've heard worse in the cycling podcast car, haven't we? I, 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 I'm not sure we have. <laughs> You've not been listening. I stood talking to Marco for about five minutes this morning at the start. There must have been half a dozen riders who offer their warm congratulations on what he did yesterday. You're you're our hero, mate. Uh, Should have. <laughs> Sounds like he might be an Australian there. Yeah. <laughs> Should have whacked him and so forth. We've had a few ironic suggestions that Marco Haller be a contender for Peddler de Charme. No, that I, can't happen. No, but I would say that Andre Zeitz, the Astana rider, is definitely a contender because if you watch the, the clip, he appeared and he could see that something was kicking off and he actually got his bottle out to hand it to the fan thinking that he'd be happy. He was just looking for a bottle. So I think he could be a contender for Peddler de Charme. I, I think Haller will be not a strong nomination. He, I'm sure he will. Well, we'll see, won't we? The public well, the may the public well decide. decide. It's not I up mean, to us. But we, we can't, we're not condoning his language, that's how obviously. It that's how but, it um, works. It's terrible language. But, but I think you can understand his reaction. And I think, yeah, I, I totally agree that the fan is, has also done something to heat at the moment that was silly and, and yeah. we shouldn't vilify him too but much. But the guy... Seeing himself being tweeted and the video being shared. I mean, it really did go viral, certainly in cycling terms. Um, can't have been a comfortable evening for him. So I kind of feel sorry for him that he was the centre of that. He's got, no, he can't retreat to Corrections Corner. It, no, t- he can't. Tone in the way that we can. And he can't say, well, I, I didn't mean to do that. Because, well, he did do that. Whereas <laughs> I didn't mean to say Andalas. <laughs> anyway. Well, Daniel, have you booked somewhere for dinner? That's the big question. I tried to. I tried to, and I don't know if it's been confirmed yet, but I'm more focused on the football, to be fr- to be perfectly frank. Well, I mean, we're not mentioning any more about that. I did say last night in the podcast to expect an episode of Kilometre Zero this morning. Um, we've metaphorically been held up by the E-Giro on this front. And by you swimming... Three <laughs> kilometres in the Tyrrhenian Sea <laughs> trying to locate your sunglasses this For morning. the record, I didn't go into the sea in search of my sunglasses because by the time we'd finished recording, they'd just disappeared. They got carried off by that surprisingly strong current. I mean, sunglasses are plastic and very lightweight, so, I mean, not surprising, but they're, okay. they're out there somewhere. They'll be... The shark of Messina will be well, wearing some very nice sunglasses. I woke sunglasses. up this morning and looked outside of my hotel room window and saw Lionel bounding across the sand in a pair of... <laughs> In a pair of red board shorts. No, you like didn't. You absolutely didn't. David Hasselhoff. Anyway, our two-part episode of Kilometre Zero on the 2012 Giro, which was a humdinger of a battle between Ryder Hezidal and Joaquim Rodriguez. Part one will be out on Friday, and part two probably on Monday at this rate. But Daniel, we really ought to go for dinner. We should line them. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burnett.